and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we're going to be heading down to our fallout shelter to ride out the Cuban Missile Crisis. But, you know, then we're going to come back up and actually, you know, go to L.A. And we're going to go and visit this really bizarre, but like kind of oddly charming um, movie from 1999. We're going to be covering Blast from the Past today. Now... If you've never heard of Blast from the Past or anything, don't worry, because I absolutely was in that same boat until a couple months ago. So my history with this film is I had no idea what it was. I was told by my sister, actually, shout out, Sarah. You know, she asked me if I had ever seen this movie. Uh, It has Brendan Fraser in it, because she knows how much I love Brendan Fraser. And it has him and Alicia Silverstone in it. And she explained to me a little bit about the plot. And so I was like, okay, let me try that. So I ended up going over to her home one time. And we were, like, watching some movies. And I thought, well, why not put on Blast from the Past? It's on my list, and why not? And I had no idea what to expect. And I went into it, and I think, you know, albeit it's not necessarily a a perfect movie by any means, but I do think it has a certain charm to it, which is kind of fun. And also, like I was saying, I love Brendan Fraser, so of course this is a movie that's a vehicle for him, pretty much. It's interesting because it came out right around that time where, like, the Mummy movies were about to come out. It was like right around that certain time where he then kind of went into that stardom of being in the mummy movies. I think this is kind of a nice little little capsule of that. And then of course Alicia Silverstone in all her glory, of course. But yeah, so as we normally do on this show, I'll be covering, you know, some critical response quotes from critics at the time. I'll also be going over a little bit of production history of the film, and then also talking a little bit about the plot summary of this film. So without further ado, let's get on to those figures. So Blast from the Past was released February 12th, 1999, and was written by Hugh Wilson and Bill Kelly. This was also directed by Hugh Wilson and was produced by him, Amanda Stern, and Rennie Harlan, who had directed... A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. That was one of his first directing jobs he ever did. This budget was $35 million, and we're looking at a gross U.S. and Canada box office of $26,511,114 and a gross worldwide of $40,263,020. We're then looking at a 58% on the tomato meter and a 56% audience score. We're looking at a 6.7 out of 10 on the IMDb, and we're looking at a letterbox score of 3.2 out of 5. For our cast of characters, we have Brendan Fraser as Adam Weber, and he is played by younger actors in the film by Hayden Tank when he's three and a half years old, Ryan Sparks when he's eight years old, and then Douglas Smith when he's 11 years old. And fun fact, Douglas Smith actually was in the movie Don't Worry Darling that just came out not too long ago, which is a horrible movie, but he played one of the husbands in that movie, and he's like all grown up now. We then have Alicia Silverstone as Eve Rustikov. We have Christopher Walken as Calvin Weber, Adam's father. Sissy Spacek as Helen Weber, Adam's mother. Dave Foley as Troy, Eve's gay brother. Joy Slotnick as Melker, who is credited as Soda Jerk in this movie. And then we have fun cameos from Nathan Fillion, who plays Cliff, one of Eve's ex-boyfriends, Jennifer Lewis as Dr. Nina Aaron, and then we have a fun little director cameo from Hugh Wilson as a character as well. 
Some critical response quotes I was able to find about Blast from the Past are as follows. We have Keith Phipps from AV Club who states, There's something a little bit creepy and dull-like about the notion that 35 years ago, everything was good and pure and right, except for that whole Cold War mess, while today, everything has become debased and confusing. We then have Mark Caro from Chicago Tribune, who states, That's a relatively clever setup for what becomes a familiar genre, the time displacement comedy, in which we get a kick out of seeing our era through another era's eyes. But this movie's eyes, Adam's, are awfully twinkly and not too focused. And then we have Sean Axemaker from Nitrate Online, who states, Brendan Fraser is the only thing that kept me around, but good manners and naive charm will only take a film so far. So before we move into a plot summary of Blast from the Past, I just wanted to go over a little bit of production history and little tidbits that I was able to find. There wasn't much I was able to get, but I did find an article from Mel Magazine that was released July 11th of 2020, titled, Blast from the Past is now the most accidentally prophetic 90s movie, which was written by Zach Schoenfeld. And in this article, the author mentions about like how this movie kind of had a resurgence during quarantine because this article was actually written right in the middle of quarantine for COVID. And I think a lot of people who either grew up watching this movie kind of then had a resurgence of watching it while they were in quarantine and like thinking, oh God, am I like is my kid going to end up like Adam from Blast from the Past because we're having to quarantine in our houses? It is kind of weird that this movie, which is about a family that goes underground for 35 years and then the sun comes back up and then it tries to like find a wife and like live a life and all. It's really interesting and it is kind of interesting that there's a parallels there. This movie really just didn't do very well when it first came out, and it was kind of kind of just seen as like uh, another role that Brendan Fraser was doing that, you know, he was flexing his muscle for playing dorky, fish-out-of-water type characters. So at this point, he had played Encino Man. He was in Encino Man. He was George of the Jungle. Obviously loved him in that. He was in Bedazzled. I think he was also in Monkey Bone or something like that as well. Again, I think Adam Weber as a character, he was just another kind of notch on his belt. But then I believe there is more a little bit to this movie because there's like satire that encompasses uh, kind of a fun send up of both paranoia of the 50s and then 1990s disaffection, um, as stated by the author of this article. And even Roger Ebert said in his 1999 review, quote, it's a sophisticated and observant film that wears its social commentary lightly, but never forgets it. I believe a lot of this has to do, and the author of this uh, article says this has a lot to do with Bill Kelly as the writer of this movie. Bill Kelly at this time, uh, in 1995, he was a struggling scribe in his early 30s. He had written his share of, quote, really terrible scripts. And while he was visiting his parents' house in Chicago, he had an idea for a good script. He uh, is quoted as saying, I was looking out at the backyard and I remember digging up one of those green plastic army soldiers in the dirt. And then that made me think of these stories about Japanese soldiers. You know, 30 years ago, they didn't know the war was over. And then I thought of the Cuban Missile Crisis. So Bill Kelly came up with this Adam character, a kind of like walking time capsule uh, entering the 1990s. And Bill Kelly is quoted as saying he loved the idea of someone frozen in terms of values and innocence and coming head on with cynicism, which, of course, the 90s had an abundance of. And to not make the innocent person the butt of the joke, but to make the cynical person the butt of the joke. 
And so this movie was initially called Looking for Eve, and the script sold to New Line Cinema, you know, the house that Freddie built. Kelly is quoted as saying, I think Jim Carrey was circling it, and that's why they bought it. Um, but Kelly isn't really sure why Jim Carrey, like, ultimately passed. Uh, apparently, he thinks that maybe it was because the role was a little bit too similar to the Truman Show role he just did. So maybe that was why. But it then ended up going to Brendan Fraser, as it should have. And the filmmaker, Hugh Wilson, signed on to direct, and he rewrote the script, and this film then hit theaters in early 1999. Unfortunately, Hugh Wilson did die in 2018, and also Brendan Fraser, through a representative, declined to be quoted in this article I'm talking about. But 21 years later, uh, Bill Kelly seems delighted by its recent spike in relevance. Um, During this interview that Zach had done with um, Bill, he mentions that one parallel between the life of quarantine and Blast from the Past that he hadn't thought of was a rise in parents who are subjecting their kids to popular culture that will put them out of touch with their own generation. And Bill Kelly is quoted as saying, I talked to a lot of writers, and they're all talking about the classic movies that they're force-feeding their kids to watch. It's very much like Perry Como, which is kind of fun in the context of this film. Kelly says, referencing Adam Weber's Stockholm Syndrome fondness for Perry Como, pretty much. Bill is uh, quoted as saying, all these movies that there's no chance these kids would watch if not for their parents have them literally under lock and key. So I think that's kind of funny, and I do think it's a nice little article that you can read if you're interested. Um, but yeah, I do think it's fun that this movie did have a nice little resurgence during the quarantine that we were under. Um, and I think overall, like I said, it's not a perfect movie. I will state that I think it's a little too long. It's about an hour and 52 minutes. Does not need to be that long. Uh, I don't particularly love the voiceover ending that they have of this movie, but I think overall it's a fun little romp of a movie. I actually think the actors in it do very well. Brendan Fraser is a pretty good actor, and even Elisa Silverstone, who isn't the strongest of actors all the time, um, I think does very well in this film. And then, of course, having Christopher Walken and Sissy Spacek is like iconic, obviously. But yeah, I think this is... At least, if anything, worth a little watch once if you see if you like it, I guess. Again, I don't have that nostalgia of growing, having grown up on it or anything. So it was a nice little surprise for me to watch. And I actually just watched it like last night. And I still think it's a fun little thing. Uh, I personally really enjoy Troy, uh, played by Dave Foley. And I'll talk about that. But yeah, without further ado, though, let's get on to our plot summary of Blast from the Past. So we begin our film with, of course, Perry Como playing in the background while we get our title sequence to Blast from the Past, showing us all the cast of characters and, you know, all the people involved. While we also have just some, like, kind of B-roll type of stock footage of, like, you know, explosions and, like, Cuban Missile Crisis stuff, I guess. And anyway, we then are brought into Los Angeles, 1962, where we meet the American scientist, Dr. Calvin Weber, who I believe was also a professor at one point, but then ended up becoming an inventor and all. And we, who's played by Christopher Walken. And then we meet his wife, Helen Weber, played by Susie Spacek, my girl from Carrie and all other movies. Pretty much, uh, Calvin and his wife are having this 
party for their friends or with their friends. You see that Helen is pregnant, visibly pregnant, and we'll meet the kid later. But you see also throughout this party that like some of their friends are just like talking shit about them behind them their backs, which is kind of like you know I guess par for the course. You see everyone looking all sixified and all that kind of stuff. Dr. Calvin Weber he believes that nuclear war with the Soviet Union because that was still a thing in these days was just you know right on the edge like we were right there and in order to protect himself and his family he decided to create a secret fallout shelter beneath his backyard in 1962 like I said. And so then throughout this beginning part, you see that there has been a report from the then President John F. Kennedy, who had not been shot yet. And he talks about the Cuban Missile Crisis and how this is, you know, something that is currently happening between America and Cuba. And it really freaks out, you know, Dr. Weber. And so he decides after he has sent all of his hate and ass friends home, um, that it would be best to maybe have, uh, him and Helen go down into the bomb shelter. So yeah, like they end up like going down there for a minute. Um, they like literally just like take the ladder down. In the meantime, while this is all happening, we then see this like fighter plane or something. Apparently it was a F-86 Sabre. I don't know. Uh, airplanes like that. Pretty much what happened is that this particular aircraft had an unexpected malfunction go on, and the pilot of this aircraft had to, like, uh, abort the mission of whatever, and he had to parachute to his safety while this um, particular aircraft fell out of the sky, and it lost control. So the pilot ejects himself from the plane, like I said, and then what ends up happening is that just so happens that while the Webbers were in the fallout shelter, this particular plane falls on their home. And so because of this, of course, it scares Dr. Weber, and he just thinks that, like, oh my god, the Cuban Missile Crisis has happened, and they've dropped a bomb or something, and of course, that means we need to lock ourselves down here. And so that's what he does. Calvin Weber locks him and his wife down in that particular bomb shelter for 35 years. And so then you have that, you see that going on. And then you'll also see a little bit of like how obviously because Helen was pregnant, she had the baby down there and you see him growing up. But in the meantime, you also see that with this house completely destroyed, obviously, because we see that we see the plane actually hit the house, the Weber's neighbors and authorities that we then see come to investigate the scene has just assumed that they were killed and that their property was just left abandoned pretty much. So, What ends up happening is Helen gives birth to a kid, a baby boy, that they named Adam. Pretty much, you see throughout this beginning part, you see that Adam himself is immersed in culture up to 1962. So this means that, like, they are showing TV reruns of, like, The Honeymooners with Jackie Gleason and, like, I Love Lucy, listening to music of the time, like, from Perry Como and Dean Martin and all of this kind of stuff. You also see that, you know, Adam is being taught um, by his father, who's a very, very smart man, 
but he is being taught by his father in like a makeshift kind of school thing going on where he learns all different types of languages. He learns Latin and German and French, apparently. And you see all that going on, but then you also on the other end see Sissy Spacek, poor old Helen, um, just becoming that much more of an alcoholic throughout the whole um, ordeal because I think it wasn't necessarily her uh, dream in life to be, you know, stuck in a bomb shelter for 35 years with her husband. So it's like gradually she starts to become more and more on the bottle, which I just thought was kind of an interesting dichotomy kind of going on at that time of just like, yeah, that's how maybe some people coped with, you know, how they felt um, about their kind of lot in life or like, oh gosh, like, you know, I have this husband who I do I actually really like him and like, what do I do? Um, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing to put in this movie. But then you see that uh, in the meantime, while you see Adam growing up and you see the Webbers just kind of trying to thrive underground, you see that a diner, which opened in 1965, is built above the shelter. And it is where uh, a person named Mom, or it's the mom, I guess, uh, she opens Mom's Restaurant. Which at the beginning of it is kind of like this 60s, obviously inspired type of um, restaurant because it was opened in the 60s. And then what ends up happening, and then you meet Melker, who's played by Joey Slotnick, and he is the son of Mom, who has opened this restaurant. And then as years and years go on, like I said, you go between the Webbers and then you go between what's going on up on on actual land in Los Angeles. The diner becomes a pizzeria in like the seventies. And you see that the clientele has changed a little bit. Then we don't really go into the eighties of what's going on with the restaurant, but I think we do see a little bit of what's going on with uh, the Webbers. And then in the nineties, it's turned into a pump club called purgatory. And this, you see that it is assumed that the suburban neighborhood that once existed around this area is just deteriorating and it's now becoming uh, just an inner city, for lack of a better term, ghetto, I guess. And so then in the early 90s, you see that mom eventually gives the club to Melker, who's her son and everything, who you have seen throughout the years, like working for her and all that. And then the establishment closes because Melker doesn't know how to run it, I guess. And then by 1995, he's just an alcoholic who's just like living in it. So he's just living in the remains of this like restaurant that his mom once owned. So I thought that was kind of interesting and a part of like uh, a little bit of a social commentary that they were making of like, hey, here's what it was like back in like the 60s. I don't know how historically accurate it was, but here's what it was like in the 60s in like LA and what it was kind of like. And then here's what happens years and years and years later and kind of what happens to a place as, you know, time goes on, industries change. And uh, unfortunately, that means that cities change and people's livelihoods change and all of that. Um, so I think they were maybe trying to say a little something with that as well, um, just to kind of show the deterioration of uh, this place uh, from years and years, especially since the Webbers have no idea what's going on. So then we finally get to the shelter being unlocked in 1997. So we finally get to 1997 and Calvin decides he wants to go up and see what's going on now with this neighborhood. So 
he pretty much, um, so he goes up in this service elevator, which is then kind of funny because you see that the elevator is there. They talk about it beforehand. And then, um, when they go up in the elevator, nobody knows anything about this place. So he literally just comes right up through the ground and it like blows Melker's mind and kind of the running gag with Melker through this whole type of, um, movie is that he then somehow creates a religion around the elevator and he just like has people come there and it's like the church of this elevator it's so fun it's kind of funny honestly i think it's really silly but yeah you know calvin mr weber he comes up and he explores this neighborhood which again he had never known of uh except for out of side 1962 so you know he once was like he just sees this neighborhood and he's just like, oh my God, this is horrible. Obviously, this is like a bunch of mutants and like all of this. So he thinks it's like a post-apocalyptic wasteland pretty much. And he decides that they need to stay underground. Uh, some of the reasons that he finds is like he sees, you know... um, like a how ho- you know a houseless person i'm just kind of digging through the trash he sees somebody just like vomit in the street um he comes across a uh, a sex worker on the street who is gender ambiguous you know kind of thing going on so he then goes back down to the bomb shelter and he's like no 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 we have to stay underground we have to stay underground we have to do this but then you know you also then see that you know the supplies are running out for the webbers and also like literally mr weber has he doesn't have a full-on heart attack but like he is so exhausted that it almost seemed like he did and by this point we have met older uh adam weber played by Brendan fraser and so you see this going on i think you also have a part in here where they do celebrate his birthday as well his 35th birthday and you see all that kind of going on but yeah you finally do get to that point where you know calvin mr rubber he's like almost had a heart attack but adam does decide that he does need to go up and get more supplies for him and his family um, so like I was saying, you know, uh, Mr. Rubber came up first and he came across Melker. And then we see that Adam comes up finally and he has this like little, um, his mom had made him this like coat, which I think was actually made out of the same stuff that their bedding was. He comes up in the elevator. He comes across Melker who had encountered his father the previous night. And so he's bursting through the floor in this radiation suit, which is really, really funny. And Melker now worships Calvin and the elevator. So like I said, it was like a really kind of silly uh, kind of running joke through the movie. But then Adam finally goes out into the world that he has never seen before, ever. And so you see him looking up at the sky, for example, and there's people just like walking by him be like, what's, what's going on? What, what are you looking at? And he's just like, the sky. And then be like, what, what's up there? Like, I don't know. But then a kid is like so innocent. She's like, I see it, mommy. And it's just like so funny because obviously he has a childlike innocence to him, um, which I thought was kind of fun. 
But then, of course, so, you know, you then see him kind of going through uh, the motions of the day. He comes across his first um, African-American person he's ever seen, uh, who's a male person. You just get to see all of Los Angeles. He gets to ride on the bus for the first time. Oh, and I think another funny thing. So before he goes up to the surface, um, you see him and his mom kind of getting ready for him to go up, right? So she gives him some money. Apparently, she gave him $3,000, which was like, Jesus Christ, okay. But so she gives him money. And one of the fun things I kind of like in this is, uh, in this scene is, um, that she's like, Oh, you know, you'll, uh, go to here. You just tell anybody who asks, you know, I'm from out of town. I'm here on business. And she's like, write that down, write that down. And so she's like telling her, him, like, you know, you're going to get these things and these things. So you're going to go to what's called a grocery store. So be sure to write that down, write that down and a hardware store. Just write that down too. Write that down. And she then said, if for some reason you can't get back here, you're going to go to what's called a holiday inn. And so she's going all that. But one of my favorite little lines that she has is that also you're going to go to a place called a liquor store. Write that down. Write that down. Because, of course, she's kind of an alky. So... You see all this kind of going on. And so anyway, back to Adam being up on the surface. So then you see that um, he is purchasing these supplies. So he goes to the grocery store, for example, which he obviously has never really gone to. The only thing he's ever gone to is like his father's stockpile, pretty much, of food, um, which is what his mother would have went through. But anyway, so he goes to the grocery store, for example. But then he... He's, like, riding the bus and everything and whatever. He gets to the grocery store, and he's, like, going up to, like, the seafood people who have, like, the lobsters and stuff, or I think the deli or something, and he's talking to this person back and forth, da-da-da, and he doesn't know where he lives. He doesn't know how to get back to where he lives, obviously. He's never been out of there, and I thought it was funny, like, um, just his interaction with this deli person or whatever, and talking about, like, this, that, that, be like, do you know where I live? And then the guy's just like, no, no, I don't. Like, may, may you please, ex- may I please be excused? And it's just like, I, I just love the way that Brendan Fraser just, uh, acts this role because he does have this certain kind of childlike innocence um and cluelessness in his performance which i really think is kind of fun and great but yeah so he's like super scared because he's like lost pretty much like a child he then decides he um is going to sell some of the baseball cards oh and another thing i think that happened when his dad went up on the surface was his dad accidentally went into an adult bookstore and he told him all about it and how scared he was But anyway, that'll come back later in the story. But he goes into a, like, kind of, like, I don't know. It's not a pawn shop, but it's, like, kind of a, uh, like, you'd buy trading cards there or, I guess, baseball cards there or whatever. He decides he's taking his father's classic baseball cards. He goes to a hobby shop. That's what it's called. Because you see earlier in the film when he was, like, an 11 year old or whatever his dad gave him these baseball cards he was trying to teach him about what baseball is but of course like this kid doesn't know anything about baseball but anyway he gets these baseball cards he's like i want to sell these and it's at that moment that adam meets eve rustikoff played by alicia silverstone and pretty much he brings his cards to his, uh, the store owner 
Eve can kind of tell from their interaction that, you know, the store owner is just trying to rip him off pretty much. And she actually kind of comes in between them and, you know, is not having, you know, this store owner cheat Adam out of these cards. And as a result, she then gets fired. Um, and then you see that, like, she's like, whatever, fine, I don't need this job. You know, whatever, I'll get another one. But anyway, so she <laughs> leaves the the hobby shop, and then Adam kind of comes after her a little bit, or is, like, following behind her, because he, like, thinks she's a pretty lady, I guess, because one of the things that you find that she, he wants to find while he's up on the surface is also a wife. He really, really wants to find that. And his mom told him that, you know... You know, make sure that, you know, they're not a mutant or whatever. But also, if you can find a girl from Pasadena, you know, they're just always nicer. But anyway, any of my California listeners, tell me if, like, girls from Pasadena are nicer, I guess. But anyway, so Eve and Adam, you know, Eve's already kind of creeped out because this, like, guy, she's like, you know, let me guess, it's your first time in L.A. and you're staying at, like, a Holiday Inn, am I right? You know, and they have this kind of back and forth. But then pretty much, like, you know, Adam finally kind of persuades Eve to drive him to a Holiday Inn in exchange for a card, like a rare card. And Eve is just, again, not really into all of this, but she's just like, all right, well, whatever, fine. She, like, takes him to this Holiday Inn, and she just, like, leaves after he she drops him off. And then he gets himself settled, everything, all that. She then returns in the morning after he's finally been able to get some sleep. She comes back in the morning out of guilt. She calls up and is like, hey, I'm the woman from the trading card store. Like, you know, and he's very happy about it. (laughs) You know, all of that. They get to talking a little bit. It's at this time because, you know, Eve's just like, oh, God, why am I here? What am I doing? And she kind of then tells Adam because Adam's just like, hey, you know what? You're like a friend of mine. Like you helped me out that time. And she's just like, dude, get away from me. Um, But she does, you know, he does ask her, though, you know, he asks her, hey, like, help me purchase these supplies I'm trying to purchase and all that kind of stuff. He asks her, like, you know, well, what's fair price if you, I want you to work for me? And so she's like, well, I can't make, you know, any less than a thousand dollars a week. Adam agrees to, uh, pay her a thousand dollars a week for what is it, like the two weeks that she needs to, or that he needs her for, uh, to help with this, this getting of supplies. And he also asks Eve to help him find a wife from Pasadena in particular, uh, per his mother's advice. And so you see them kind of getting together with like this little bit of like a um just kind of a, a little friendship, if anything. They are coming off as, if anything, friends, which is nice. We then um I believe we do get a bit of a introduction to kind of what's going on with Eve a little bit. I believe we meet her ex-boyfriend Cliff, played by Nathan Fillion, um, when she ends up at her house, which she shares with her gay brother, Troy, which is my favorite character in this movie. I love him. Played by Dave Foley, who was also in this same year, was in the movie Dick, which I covered earlier on in my podcast. But anyway... I just love him. He's great. He is a um, web designer and he's like, you know, helping to get like a little, he helps like get Adam's style together there and everything. I, I kind of love it. Whatever. It's a trope, but I don't care. I loved it. But you then meet uh, Troy, like I said. But yeah, I mean, you see like the ex-boyfriend of, of Eve. Eve talks about how like she's into a butt and, you know, hair 
and legs and all this. And that's all guys ever see from me, you know, so that's why I end up getting my heart broken and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, you get to see like Adam interacting with Troy and also interacting with Eve a little bit as well. Um, I think one of the fun things is like, you know, in this movie you have like like troy is talking to adam being a nice you know host and everything he says like you know what i just love sushi and then adam's like i love lucy and then troy's just like who wouldn't she's hilarious it's like that kind of thing i also enjoy um there's a scene in here where adam and troy and eve are all kind of talking a little bit eve ends up saying something about like you know like he's gay you know And then Adam just looks at Troy and just says, well, good for you. And I just love that because obviously, you know, Adam uh, is accepting of, of just about everybody, which I really appreciate and love for them. But again, we want to make sure that, you know, Adam can find a wife because that's kind of a big point of why he's up on the surface, you know, not just to get these supplies, but also try to get a wife. So in the meantime, while he's getting his, you know, fashion makeover by his new gay best friend, we then see that Eve and Troy take Adam out to a swing um, style 1940s club, which kind of fits right in with like how with how Adam just interacts with the world a little bit. Um, and when they take him out, you know, they teach him how to go to a club and to seem like they're cool, you know, but he attracts the attention of several women, uh, including the nemesis of Eve, Sophie, doesn't like her. We see them. We also see him, uh, Adam, hitting it off with like these two other ladies who he does a dance to the Zoot Zoot Riot, I believe, which is a great little song. They have this little like dance um, moment with because Sophie is trying to get with Adam Eve decides she wants to reconnect with uh, her ex-boyfriend, Cliff, who I said was Nathan Fillion. And pretty much, like, so you see this all kind of going on, and then Adam sees that Cliff and Eve are talking or whatever, and of course, Eve has told Adam about what she really thought of Cliff and how, you know, he was just this, that, and the other to her. And... This kind of then brings Adam to get into an altercation with Cliff at the club, which you see earlier in the film. You do see that uh, one of the things that they did during the 35 years they were down in the fallout shelter was that uh, Mr. Weber did teach Adam kind of like how to fight and all that kind of stuff as part of exercise. So that was important to um, kind of then tie back to that. But yeah, he like punches like Cliff like a good three times. Went on for a little long, but you know, it's fine. What ends up happening, though, is that Eve just leaves. Because you can always kind of tell that even though they have this friendship, I guess, like, Eve just doesn't know how to feel. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that she really actually does have some feelings for for uh, Adam. You see this especially after this dance that they do. Um, so Adam, you know, dances with these two ladies. And you see that, like, Eve's just like, Oh my God, like, what is this guy? Like, who is this person? Right. 
You see all that kind of going on. Eve, you know, leaves. Troy comes home, tells her that, you know, oh, well, he left with Sophie. And, you know, of course, Eve's just like, oh, God, no. Like, he can't be, like, with Sophie. God, she's going to, like, destroy him, right? So she decides, you know, and I think they also have kind of like a um, Troy and Eve kind of have a brother-sister thing where Troy kind of goads um, Eve on to be like, you know, you're going to go over to Sophie's, aren't you? And then she's like, you're damn right I am. And so she gets into her car, but then actually Adam has come home from Sophie's um, and she he like scares um, Eve by accident. When she's in her car, she like falls out of her car. Adam returns to the house. He explains explains that he politely rejected Sophie's advances, which you always kind of tell through this movie that Adam was definitely raised with manners. He's always been told to be polite to people, you know, asking, can I be excused from this and whatever, whatever, which could be a, a good thing, I guess, because it attracted the women to him, which is kind of what he wanted. But then it can also be a weird detriment because some people think that he's easy to take advantage of, which it doesn't seem like he necessarily is. But, um, I think it's also kind of then goes back into like why Eve doesn't know what to think of this. Like, why is this guy so nice? Why is this guy so polite? Like, what is with this guy? And he doesn't seem like he's gay, I guess. Right. But like, you, know, what's going on with him? Which we'll get to in just a minute, I guess. Adam returns. Like you said, he, he had, you know, rejected Sophie's advances because really all he can think about is Eve. He's loved her from the day that he saw her. You see that he and Eve kiss. It's, like, really nice. The one scene they have is, like, Eve is saying, like, Adam, humor me. Have you ever had sex before? And she's, like, while they're kissing, she's asking this. And he's, like, no, I haven't. And she's, like, how is that possible? Because she's thinking to herself, she's, like, how does this 35-year-old guy who's, like, all these different things... I think there was also a scene earlier where she, he was, like, rollerblading, and, you know, you see all that kind of thing, and you also see him, like, go into the ocean and just, like, go in the ocean and, like, splash around because he's never done it. And so it's these things that, like, Eve has just been noticing, but she hasn't really found out what's Adam's deal. She just kind of thinks that he's this guy... From Alaska, that was another thing that was kind of brought up as well. Apparently, he may be from Alaska. He he, seems to know a lot about Alaska because his dad just taught him about every fucking state, apparently. But anyway, so they really just think like, oh, maybe he's just like this visitor from Alaska. He's like a really just kind of weird dude, kind of, but like not in a bad way. Adam has not really been able to tell Eve what's actually going on. He does try to say it in one scene, um, but then that gets kind of cut short, unfortunately. Um, But then we finally get this scene in particular where Adam admits the truth about what's been going on, where pretty much what happened is that during the Cuban Missile Crisis, his family went into a bomb shelter and they were in there for like 30 something years and they then came back up for supplies and that pretty much he finally gets to tell the truth about what's been going on and that he is interested in Eve and that he wants to like take her back down, you know, underground because that's what his family told her him, you know, to say, Hey, if you find a girl up there and she's worth, you know, pursuing something with bring her back down here. That's what, that's what he's told. So obviously this all being, you know, on Eve, she pretty much like asks him to leave because She's just like, 
what in the hell? And you have this whole even scene where, like, she asks him to leave. He leaves out. He, like, points up the sky to, like, God or whatever and says, like, you know, thank you. And then you just see, like, Eve, like, collapse on the stairs, like, crying. She's like, God, I'm like oh, this crazy guy wants to, like, be with me and, like, wants to take me underground with him. Like, what the hell? And when you really think about it, I mean, I guess, yeah, this is a fucking weird thing. Like, this guy's just, like, come out of nowhere in your life. He's really cool and charming, I guess. But, like, what's his deal? And you finally find out what his, quote, deal is. And then it's just, like, unimaginable, right? And so, of course, she doesn't believe him. She thinks that he's mentally ill, pretty much. Finally, Adam, you know, comes back to the, um, to the pub. Um, and at this point, Melker, our good old Melker, he is, has a full congregation. He, cause he finally knows how to get back to his house, I guess. But he comes back to Eve's house because again, you know, she, he wants to, you know, be with her and maybe she just needed a night to kind of take this all in. When Adam returns to Eve's house, um, they're waiting for him with Dr. Nina Aaron, played by the one and only Jennifer Lewis, of course, um, and her assistant. And they're going to pretty much have him committed. So it's not at all, like, made to seem that way. Like, it's just said that, like, oh, this is somebody from social service, uh, you know, family service and all this. But really, they're just having him, like, maybe committed um because eve's just like this crazy guy wants to like take me underground like i have to protect myself as a woman initially adam is cooperating with you know this whole being committed thing but then as they're leaving eve's house because of course eve and troy are together and she's like what was i supposed to do he was going to take me underground with them but adam escapes um asking eve and troy to just collect his things, pay for his hotel bill, and all that kind of stuff. While he is getting his stuff together, he steals a truck, and he then runs into uh, Dr. Aaron's car. Uh, and then they're just, like, all fighting once, you know, <laughs> once Adam just leaves. So because Adam is... um has gotten this stuff he has because you see in earlier scenes of this film that he and eve who was he was working with of course were getting these supplies they were putting them into like these different like storage units and all to have so that they can take them back to the to the to the house and so you have all this but then you see that adam has pretty much taken all of these these things it was kind of a weird change of heart thing too because you see that like eve called to have him committed but then kind of like on a dime she like decides like you know what maybe he isn't crazy and i do kind of believe him because he seems to be very forthright with what he's saying um and maybe i was just panicking in the moment kind of a thing um so that all happened anyway so like i said adam escapes and he crashes into uh dr aaron's car uh steals this truck to go and take some stuff from these storage units and all that so then eve and troy they are um going back to the hotel room because i said they were gonna pay the bill on that hotel room and everything and they go in and they're looking around his room and they end up finding so like troy finds these stock certificates in companies like IBM and, you know, all these different companies that back in the 60s stocks were like not really all that much, apparently. 
Uh, and even uh, Mr. Weber thought that they were kind of useless when he was teaching his kid about stock certificates. Then you see that Eve finds, like, this toothpaste. You see that, like, she's just finding these different things that would have came from the 60s. And, like, Troy is kind of reiterating that, like, oh, yeah, this came from, like, 1962. And that pretty much they kind of deduce at the end of it all uh, that really Adam wasn't crazy at all. And he was telling the truth of all of this. And so now they're kind of like, so then they also make it a point too, that they call like some financial advisor and they ask like, Hey, we found these stock certificates that this gentleman had or whatever. Uh, What would they be worth now? And the guy's just saying like, wait, you're saying that an IBM stock certificate that you have from 1960 something, now it'd be worth like millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. And then of course they say something about like, you know, of course you find this like most polite, most kind, most rich man you've ever met in your life. And of course you try to have him committed, obviously. But it is kind of this full circle type moment where they realize, okay, he's not crazy. He was telling the truth the whole time. We have to go try to find him. As Melker and his cult help load the supplies back into the shelter, you know, because they're going to do that. Calvin, uh, Mr. Weber, he decides to seal the family inside again. It's like Eve's trying to find Adam because she finally realizes that he's not this crazy man and that maybe she may actually want to be with him. So then they go over to uh, where they were earlier. Cause you see that Troy and Adam were earlier. They were getting some poultry. Apparently Adam knew where he was, where he was home finally. So he was able to like, you know, see into the congregation or whatever and all that stuff. So then you see that Adam is outside of the pub. They embrace. It's so nice and wonderful. You also see a, um, seen before this i think where it's troy and eve trying to figure out where adam's house could be like that do you think that maybe there's like a house underneath that like adult bookstore or whatever because that was what is happening like it was that troy and adam were together and he went into an adult bookstore by accident, I guess. Um, because he knew that like, Oh, his dad had went in there before. So obviously like that must be like where he lives, obviously, which is kind of true. And so they go into there and they're trying to figure out like, where would this place be at? Like, I don't know. Um, and one of the fun kind of things, it's not really even fun, but it, it was one of these things where it's like, this definitely has that kind of PG 13 quality to it. That, Literally, if you watch this movie, you will see that, like, they go into the adult bookstore really only once where it's actually a set in, like, the bookstore. And, of course, there's this porn all around. And it's a PG-13 movie, so they can't really show any of the porn. So they literally have to blur out a lot of, like, the video covers that they have and, like, all this kind of stuff. I just thought it was kind of funny. I don't know why they didn't just go for an R rating, but, like, whatever. I'm not the writer and director. So, anyway... But you have that kind of scene going on. But then, as I said, you know, Eve spots Adam outside of this pub where he apparently lives and they embrace. And Adam finally gets to take Eve back to the parents to, you know, meet. And we finally have that. We're getting close to the end, if anything. But uh, the parents are impressed with Eve. And because of this, you know, 
the parents decide that they're going to lock themselves down there for two months while Eve and Adam can make some arrangements pretty much. So they're like, all right, cool. Got it. Got it. Got it. So then during this time, the two months, um, Adam and Eve, they sell the stocks that, you know, Mr. Rubber had given to Adam before. And pretty much now he's like a millionaire, I guess. Like he's a multimillionaire. With this money that they get from the stocks, they're able to actually have a house built for the parents in the countryside, identical to their house that they had that was destroyed by that plane from the beginning. They purchase and restore a um, red 1960 Cadillac convertible, which I guess they had had before as well. They actually hire on Melker and make him employed so that he could rebuild the pub into a 1950s themed nightclub after finally convincing uh, Melker the fact that Adam was not God at all. And this is where you get into the end of this film, where you have this like voiceover from uh, Eve, Elisa Silverstone. Not my favorite thing, but like, you know, you have this kind of telling you what's been going on, that they slowly but surely had to bring the parents back up to the surface to be able to show them the house and all of that. And then you finally see that like Adam reveals that there was never an atomic war. Um, the bomb that was on their house was not actually a bomb. It was said it was a plane that crashed into their house. And actually, the Soviet Union collapsed as a whole. And of course, Mr. Weber, he just plans to make a new fallout shelter. Um, of course, because it's funny, like at the end of this, like him and uh, his son are sitting outside and his son's telling him like, yeah, like a plane just crashed into our house. Like the Soviet Union is like completely not there anymore. And of course, the father, because this is like a time kind of jumpy movie or whatever, Mr. Weber is just like, oh, so this must have happened and they must have got aid from the West, huh? And he's pretty much explaining, like, literally how the fall of the Soviet Union happened, but he can't believe any of it. He doesn't believe any of it. He even says something about, like, so Rustikov, right? Like, is she a, is she a communist? She's like, and he's, you know, Adam's just like, no, she's not. Like, the Soviet Union is literally not there anymore. Like, whatever. I thought that was kind of a funny little touch of just, like, this guy who's obviously an older man you know he's this father of he doesn't believe this at all he's just like okay but you see that mr weber is you know he's going to build this new fallout shelter because of course he is while eve just kind of watches him playing with her like engagement ring because she and adam are going to get married and all that and that's where you come to the end and so then that is the end of blast from the past so in conclusion, I mean, Blast from the Past is albeit not at all a perfect movie or anything, but I do think it's like a fun little romantic comedy. It's got a little bit of like drama in there a little bit, but like not actually a whole lot. It's more so like a, a comedy, if anything. You could even argue that it might be a little bit of a sci-fi kind of sort of, maybe a little bit. You know, I think overall, this is just like a fun little movie, especially for those of us who like Brendan Fraser, you know, I think it's a fun, it's definitely fun for him to do. And even Elisa Silverstone, I think does a good job in this movie. So I, I kind of enjoy that. And then of course, seeing like Sissy Spacek and Christopher walking, you know, in this film as well, it's, it's, it's fun. 
And I think it definitely feels kind of like a 1999 movie in a way, which I kind of love. So the best way you can watch this film is on Hulu. So it's been on there for months. That's how I first watched it whenever I first watched it. And then that's how I watched it last night. So if you have a Hulu subscription or if, you know, uh, if you have like that, uh, I don't know if it's on Disney Plus in the UK or anything, but, you know, if you have Hulu in the United States, go watch it there. It's the easiest way to do it. I personally, I mean, if you wanted to rent it, I would personally just say if you have a Hulu subscription, just watch it on there. Um, Because I don't know if I would necessarily rent this movie to just like watch it, I guess. But that's just me, I guess. And I think if anything, it is worth at least a watch um, to see if it's something you might be interested in. Uh, And, you know, I do think it has a fun little little following of people who, who enjoy it and connect with it in some way or... You know, maybe they had that kind of resurgence during, you know, the quarantine for for COVID and everything. And I definitely think that if anything, Blast from the Past is worth a watch, if anything. So that's what I would say for that. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com. In case you want to give any movie recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you just want to say, hey, I'm open to all of it. You can also follow the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Instagram handle is Cult Cinema Circle, and Twitter handle is Cult Cine Circle. On those platforms, I tend to announce the different episodes I'm going to be doing. I'll make little Instagram stories when we have an episode drop, and just generally interact with anybody on there that wants to interact with me. You can also follow me on Letterboxd at Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, Kremp, K-R-E-M-P, all one word. On there, I log the movies that I watch and write little reviews about them and just general foolishness over there. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty much out there everywhere. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review so we can grow the audience more and also just spread the love all around. Be sure to tune in next week to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, where I'll be covering 1990s Frankenhooker. A medical school dropout loses his fiance in a tragic lawnmower incident and decides to bring her back. Unfortunately, he was only able to save her head, so he goes to the red light district in the city and lures prostitutes into a hotel room so he can get parts for his girlfriend. As always, thank you so much for listening to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, and remember... Manners are a way of showing other people we care about them. Take care. Bye.